I'm Jason Van Metting. And I'm Ksenia Chmutana. Welcome to Disasters Deconstructed Podcast. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Disasters Deconstructed. I'm here with Ksenia, and we're so happy that you're tuning in today. Hey, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Doing pretty well. Happy to be recording this episode. Really looking forward to it. And um, yeah, I guess our audience are in for a treat because we have uh, something a bit different planned for this episode. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the, I guess, ideas that came out from the first season was that Academic Anonymous Club right because so many of us dread the question of resilience and yeah. if you remember for those of you who've been to iraq and also to lisbon with us a couple of years ago we were playing conference bingo and one of the squares we had actually we had the question what does resilience mean to you mm-hmm. and we've decided to actually ask this question and we posted it on twitter so thanks to you guys for engaging with us so we asked you three questions uh, what does resilience mean to you? Do you think resilience is a divisive concept or a unifying concept? And how can the concept of resilience help us to tell stories about disasters? And we've got some exciting answers. Thank you all for contributing, sending us your recordings and emails. Um, we got so many, so many responses. And we also talked to some of our friends about these uh, key questions. And I think... I think you'll all find this episode quite interesting. So um, what do we do? Will we just listen in? Yeah, let's unpack question by question. I mean, there is a lot of interesting stuff and um, some of the answers, as you'll hear in a moment, are not the answers that I guess we've expected, which is great. That's a good thing. Hopefully we have a few um, differences and debates to unpack um, as we listen through, yeah? Let's go. The problem with the meaning of resilience is that it means so many things for so many people that it actually doesn't mean anything substantially important for anybody anymore. What I mean by this is that the term of resilience has been used, adopted, and manipulated in so many different ways by stakeholders, by academics, and by decision makers that it has almost lost its meaning. Resilience was initially thought as a a way to understand how people cope with risk, with danger, and with disasters. The problem is that it eventually became a normative approach. It, It stopped being a way of analyzing and understanding and framing Uh, the way in which people react to risk and disasters, and instead became a normative approach in which we expect people to be resilient, we expect people to act, and we expect institutions and stakeholders to take certain actions in the face of risk. So it moved from being an explanation of reactions to risk to be a normative concept that we need to implement 
that we need to measure and that we need to attain. And this is how um, it, be it becomes problematic because it stops being a way of understanding reality and it has become a way of identifying objectives. But the problem is that those objectives vary a lot between people. We don't agree on what are the objectives that we want to put under the resilience concept. In that sense, it is less and less useful as a concept to help us explain stories about disasters. It is becoming less and less useful to explain how people react to risk. It is becoming less and less useful to understand how institutions, stakeholders, and people in general, citizens in general, react to danger or react to destruction. And this is how the concept of resilience has become problematic in both research and practice. Okay, so that was Professor Gonzalo Literale, who you guys will have heard before on our show, talking about what resilience means, um, in his opinion, and kind of giving us a really interesting initial response to this question. So with that as a starting point, we want to um, hear some more of what our listeners sent in to us when we ask them this question. It's not something that's set in stone. I think I think we still like I still think we're trying to determine what the meaning of resilience is. And that's the question that I kind of find interesting is like what what could resilience mean, mm -hmm. right? What what kind of meaning can be invested within it? Um, you know, certainly there's like there's a neoliberal understanding of it. There's like, you know, there's different understandings of it. And so how do we kind of link it to to kind of progressive uh politics and and, you know, um ethical change? Resilience to me is a way of getting by, recuperating oneself, community or resources in the face of dominant social forces. I think that the word resilience really revolves around the characteristics of the individuals and the community affected by a crisis or disaster. And it's certainly true that a number of people have tried to tie this word into various political machinations, uh, neoliberal attempts to devolve responsibility from the state. It's really a sign to me, in fact, that the factors that help the communities recover, respond to and adapt are already there. So in that sense, resilience or this opposite brittleness exists whether governments shirk their duties or we call it resilience or not. I think there's really two aspects to resilience. The first being individual resilience, which is the resilience of the person. So those are characteristics that are driven by being resourceful, um, being innovative uh, and having a strong set of values, um, working with a level of ingenuity um, and having a desire or a drive to move forward. Um, but community resilience is a little bit different. So um, resilient communities are diverse communities. They're inclusive. They're connected. They're collaborative. Uh, they coordinate. Um, and for these reasons, resilience can't just be manufactured. A perhaps overused and uh, often misunderstood term, bit of a buzzword, uh, that can have good but also negative connotations. And I think too often uh, there's a focus on the good, um, potential good, and not necessarily a suitable critique of 
what the negative implications of resilience might be. Resilience to me means something at a level unattainable for some that I work with and potentially dished out by people with the means to achieve different levels of resilience across a divide. I think resilience is perhaps an overused and sometimes throwaway term that is poorly understood perhaps by many. In order to actually be able to measure something, you need to know what you're measuring. And part of the reason why I'm particularly fascinated with it is that there are so many definitions of resilience that are out there. Actually, maybe people can have a role in either defining what resilience is, so doing surveys, conducting different measurement techniques where you actually go about allowing people to self-define what resilience means to them. So you can either do that at an individual level or you can do that at a community level as well. Well, so as we've just heard, there is a whole myriad of definitions and explanations of resilience and some are focusing on measurements, other people emphasize the importance of people and the voices of people when we talk about resilience. But I think there is a common thread is in that resilience does not really mean one thing or it doesn't really mean anything, but also maybe that's the beauty of it, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, when we talk about that in our institute here, obviously we have resilience in our titles, so we have to talk about it. Um, and I feel like it's actually a great opportunity to understand other people's perspectives and why they think of certain concepts or words in a given way, like what their disciplinary background is and context is. So for me, it's been a word that's opened up pathways to kind of understanding and empathy and, um, you know, more diverse uh, you know, knowledge, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I agree with you to an extent. I mean, I've got resilience in my job title. Yeah. But, I, and I, you know, if, if you'd asked me this question, I don't know, like three, four years ago, I really thought that this is a useful term. But the more we see, I guess, its evolution, the more I kind of realized that it's now been so adopted by those in power, like, you know, international organizations like IMF and the World Bank, right, and many governments, mm -hmm. is that it kind of becomes almost abusive because resilience has to an extent become, became a metaphor to just normal business as usual model of development, right? So when we talk yeah. about resilience, we don't really talk about equality anymore. We don't really talk about poverty alleviation anymore. What we talk about is this reactive measures where a person has to or a community have to protect themselves against nature and i you know i really i really don't like this shift yeah i agree i think um a few of the a few of the snippets there that we played sort of focused on the way that the meaning can be um, defined by those outside of uh, the community or individuals that are experiencing the phenomena, right? And mm -hmm. um, so it can, I mean, in the context of disasters, a lot of what we're talking about is uh, those who are systemically oppressed, um, sometimes aka vulnerable, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, but do they get to decide what resilient is? Do they get to decide if they want to be called resilient? You know, this is a big question. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this leads us nicely to our second question, whether resilience is actually a divisive concept or a unifying one.
I think at present it's it's definitely a unifying concept. Like I think it's a kind of boundary uh, object, and I think that's part of the value of resilience as well. Is that right. because it means so many different things to to many different people, it gives the semblance of everyone being able to to work off of the same thing uh, and and work towards a, a common goal, even if they understand that goal differently uh, and and they don't really kind of know that. Um, but I think to to reach this kind of question of like what could resilience mean, maybe that means making it a little bit more divisive, and maybe that means kind of like identifying those differences um, and uh, you know drawing attention to them and maybe even kind of like you know mobilizing them or or, or using them uh, for for kind of different different purposes. So maybe maybe if it is a unifying uh, concept, mm-hmm. uh, maybe maybe part of the political project is to to make it more divisive. The term resilience is often um, criticized as neoliberal abandonment um, caused by techno-rational blindness, um, and rightfully so. However, I, I believe that the term resilience can be useful for disaster risk reduction um, if the focus is not on people or systems attributes, um, but rather on the power dynamics that give rise to those attributes in the first place. I am ambivalent towards resilience. I wrote in a paper in that was recently published uh, in Disasters this year, and it's titled Ambivalence Towards Disaster Resilience. I think that resilience serves a purpose. Resilience is a unifying uh, concept in the respect that it creates a space for dialogue among those different silos that exist between the development sector, humanitarian, climate change, and disaster risk reduction. I think the intentions were good, but I think the way that it comes out isn't necessarily good. You know, and it always brings brings me thinking about the signs that were put up in Haiti and also I think in New Orleans after disasters where people were saying, stop calling us resilient because, you know, there's this sort of suggestion that if people seem to be coping and they might be the poorest, most vulnerable people seem to be coping, then there's, that we don't have to do anything more for them, you know, because they're coping, when I think that can be the negative connotation. I think resilience can be a divisive concept when there's a lack of agreement in terms of operationalization and conceptualization. But I do think it can be unifying when there is that agreement. Resilience as a term describes properties of a system. A resilient system is one that can continue in the face of all sorts of crises, hardships, events. Um, It may be a dynamic type of resilience in which the system comes back stronger and better. Some of the weaknesses and vulnerabilities are resolved, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a system that we find desirable or fair or just or ecologically in balance. Um, Those are questions about what we want, whose values and principles um, are often left unexplored in thinking about resilience. We can think of several resilient systems, slavery um, being a highly resilient system, one that adapted to both internal crises and external pressures for change, and did so and lasted for many, many, many years longer than it might otherwise have done. However, it was not a desirable system. Okay, so in listening to those clips, I think one of the common threads is that 
um, the idea of resilience being a unifying concept is not necessarily a good thing because um, we have to take into account the political dimension. And I often speak about this to people when we get into the weeds about resilience, um, like how resilience is used in, in a negative way to sometimes um, obscure the responsibility that some political actors should be taking. Um, and often also to further oppress people who have been already oppressed by systems in society. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. You know, for me, I, I don't actually see the kind of unification behind the concept of resilience. For me, it's quite a divisive term in a sense that, you know, when we talk about resilience, first of all, it's that division that you just mentioned. So it's different marginalized people who are therefore sort of seen as separate. But there is also a division between people and nature, because when we make something more resilient, it's against the natural environment. Yeah. And I'm not sure that this is what resilience originally is, is about, right? And I'm not sure that this is a helpful way of actually framing it, but it fits nicely into the neoliberal agenda. So, you know, why not? Yeah. Well, I guess, um, so it comes back to the question of like resilience of what against what and for who, mm. um, what, what are we using it for? And it's so, um, or it's so important to, um, use this idea in a certain context and to be clear about how it's being used. And so, I mean, that, because it's su such a big part of the, of different discourses, both in the public and in different fields of academia, um, I've, I personally, I feel like it's so important to develop a critique of the concept so that you can actually have these conversations with people who maybe have a very, um, one-dimensional idea of what, what this concept means, right? And so I, I think it's an opportunity as well because it is so popular, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard about the journal called Resilience and they've been writing quite a lot. So people like David Chandler and Luca Mavelli, you know, and Chris Zabrowski, they've been kind of critiquing resilience quite a lot, but it's very often from political side of thing and not necessarily in the context of disasters. And I think, you know, we need to have a bit more critique. I absolutely agree with you from our perspective, because the way we talk about resilience in disaster studies is not always reflects the critique that is already out there. Yes, very true. Um, and so in the end, it is about um, communicating across different divides and bringing people together, having better conversations. And so I guess the other thing we want to ask our listeners um, in this next segment is how the concept of resilience can help us tell stories about disasters. So again, um, feeding back into the, um, these ideas about stories and narratives and how to frame different issues. Do our listeners think that the concept of resilience is actually helpful? The resilience concept has been manipulated too much already. And I guess we have to ask ourselves, can we really save that concept and that idea for the future? Or instead, should we just abandon it and start thinking about the ethical implications of the work we do? 
And I guess that the right answer, or the most common answer, is that we need to replace this term for a thorough understanding of the ethical responsibilities we have towards society, towards nature, and towards ourselves. I think resilience allows us to think through struggles, allows us to think through the ability to tell stories about what happens after disasters. Resilience, especially individual resilience, is most certainly related to the human spirit. There's something about disasters that creates an opportunity for people to come together outside of conventional politics and power dynamics and to work as a collective, not as a community, but as a collective. And so I think that resilience allows us to think through um, that, that spirit of the individual and the spirit of the collective. It can help us if um, it's a way of sort of trying to frame a narrative that fully sort of engages in people's experiences and it's not used too flippantly as in a way of, well, these people seem to be coping with something, but are they, but so they're resilient, but if they're not adapting and, or haven't got the ability to adapt due to underlying social and economic and political root causes that they're just sort of coping rather than adapting, then I think in, in that regard, it, it can be um, problematic. To make the resilience story better understood, we have to understand the systemic imbalances for many people. I believe many in society are drawing on significant resilience resources every day to feed their families, maintain power and heat, and just to keep heads above water, so to speak. This type of resilience will never be known or understood by many who may, post-disaster, suggest someone just needs to find or strengthen their resilience. Multiple meanings mean that there is space for many voices and stories which need to be heard and shared for sense-making and learning about what are profoundly, profoundly impactful human experiences. People's own interpretations of resilience differ quite markedly from external experts. So we look at the things both in terms of how people define resilience and what it is and the different core capacities that make resilience up. They differ when we compare uh, subjectively oriented frameworks compared with outside external objective frameworks. But what it does tell us is that we are picking up different things when we ask people to, to contribute their own internal reflections and judgments towards what resilience means as a concept and as a measure um, compared to when we do it from outside external. So I think to strengthen and think about how resilience can help us tell stories about disasters, understand them and respond to them better, we have to marry the idea of resilience with ones of environmental and social justice. I don't know that resilience can be helpful in telling the stories of disasters. In fact, I think that sometimes 
talking about disasters in this framework of resilience can actually confuse and kind of obscure the topic. And I think that's really rooted in how everyone is using slightly different definitions of resilience. I think it can even kind of help facilitate some of that miscommunication about disasters. I think a lot about resilience and how we use the term in research, but also how we use the term in efforts of public engagement. And I don't have clear answers here, but I also kind of think about it in how I hear survivors using this term resilience. When I talk to survivors right after a disaster, I very often hear them describe themselves as resilient. And they're using the term to mean that they're themselves and their community made it through the impact of the disaster and that they work together. And they're always really proud of those efforts as they should be. I have kind of begun to wonder how those ideas and, and that research about human behavior actually tie into this concept of resilience, right? In a way, aren't we all resilient? And so I, I think, you know, this ties back into that kind of conceptual confusion with this term and where there's some space uh, for there to kind of be some misrepresentation, miscommunication about how we're using this term. I've also begun to wonder more recently if this sense of resiliency that communities may feel having come through the response in the early days of recovery, what effect that has on uh, the willingness or at least the priority prioritization of mitigation and preparedness efforts after the disaster has happened. You know, there's a lot of other economic and structural issues going into why more mitigation doesn't happen post-disaster. But I also wonder that if a community already thinks of themselves as being resilient, if that doesn't in some ways undermine that, uh, that cell of mitigation and preparedness. I think that there's some potential that this is highly connected to certain components of American culture specifically. But at the same time, I think there are examples where we see this around the world. So I don't have clear answers here, but I definitely think that it's an important thing to talk more about and to really pull apart what we actually mean when we're saying resilient. Well, I guess what we've heard in these recordings is that resilience does tell a story, but all of our participants have highlighted that these stories are different. And I guess the question that we need to answer or even ask ourselves the questions that we have to start asking ourselves are what are the stories, you know, and who is telling the stories and whose story it is that we are trying to tell. Like, I mean, for me, resilience is, as I already said earlier, it's kind of a story of neoliberalism, right? In in Foucault's interpretation, I guess, of neoliberalism. Oh, I'm so contributed to Jack and Jar today. Aren't yes, I? you are. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the roll. But anyway, I'll continue. Um, you know, I'm feeling feeling rich today with my pound coins. So in, in a way that you know, Foucault kind of when he talks about neoliberalism, he talks about um the effective control of the population that is achieved not by governing more, but by governing less. And that is what resilience is doing. You know, the story of resilience is doing. To me, the story of resilience is kind of a way of um, giving us a narrative about self-discipline and self-regulation. But whether that is the right story to tell, well, I don't think so. 
Yeah, it reminds me of the paper by Jonathan Joseph where he talks about resilience as embedded neoliberalism. I think he makes a lot of great points and um, you were talking before about the different critiques that are emerging about how resilience is used and misused. Um, and I mean, as a counterpoint, I feel like a lot of people who are dealing with systemic injustices and oppression and violence um, can also use this kind of language to speak about their strength, right? Mm -hmm. And speak about their ability to withstand oppression. So in a way, I'm like, I'm open to people that choose to use this kind of language to tell stories of resistance and tell stories of withstanding oppression, right? Right, right. I agree with you. I agree in a way that you know, it can be used in a way of telling, as a way to tell personal stories, but we don't hear the stories often, right? Yeah. We don't really hear the stories of resilience narrated by the people who feel resilient or not resilient. We kind of put this label on them, like I think Lee said, right? And Lisa um, Bernstein also said in her uh, audio clip. And that we sort of label people resilience, resilient, sorry, whether they want it or not, because this idea of being resilient has become a kind of objective of development, right? Yeah. So this is what we're all striving for. And of course, it, it, it's a, therefore a nice narrative because disaster is in this narrative is seen as a shock, you know, or it's something that we did not expect. Yeah. Um, so all of this together really hides the, the real story of resilience that people really need to be telling us, or we need to be listening, they're, they're telling us we're not listening. So in pretty much all of the recordings that were sent in to us for this episode, we heard from different perspectives about how resilience is often um, kind of used and misused as a political concept often in quite cunning ways in a sort of neoliberal frame and um, that we need to have a stronger critique when we're using this term and i think that came across from many of our um, contributions yes and i guess that kind of goes hand in hand with another theme which was really quite strong in that resilience is used as a label that therefore allows us to you know decrease support for people who actually need it because when we look at resilience as a sort of tool for neoliberalism it's therefore allows us to think that destitution and poverty you know they're not a collective responsibility of the state right they kind of become the responsibility of some people who are unable to adjust to the requirements of modern life and it's their fault right and that is why they're not resilient yeah, and it's sort of like uh, um, buying into like a tough love approach. You know, you need to take away the safety net because people need to um, cope with hardship and it'll make them better in the end, you know, it's kind of like bootstrap mentality. Yeah, absolutely. But the, and it hides the narrative of root causes. It hides the narrative of marginalization because it basically, yeah, it puts the responsibility and say, well, if you can't become resilient, how can we help you, right? Or maybe uh, we can, but we're not going to because it's not um, the society's objective. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, the common argument that you hear from people that are opposed to um, social spending, you know, that it 
you know, it's going to make people lazy or it's, it's not going to give them an incentive to better themselves. And I think it's this sort of um, usage of resilience by the neoliberal status quo can uh, fit very nicely with that sort of attitude towards people who are oppressed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, Jason, I was telling you earlier today before we kind of started recording uh, about Oscar Wilde's um, episode or uh, Oscar Wilde's kind of story on poverty, the, the paragraph on poverty. Uh -huh. um, can I read it for you? I, I, really, for I really, really like it. I, yes, I found please. it yesterday. I was reading something else. So it's from Oscar Wilde's um, The Soul of Man and the Socialism, uh, which, was which was published sorry, in 1915. So... People find themselves surrounded by hideous poverty, by hideous ugliness, by hideous starvation. It is inevitable that they should be strongly moved by all this. Accordingly, with admirable, though misdirected intentions, they very seriously and very sentimentally set themselves to the task of remedying the evils that they see. But their remedies do not cure the disease, they merely prolong it. Indeed, their rem remedies are part of the disease. They try to solve the problem of poverty, for instance, by keeping the poor alive, or in the case of a very advanced school, by amusing the poor. But this is not a solution. It is an aggravation of the difficulty. The proper aim is to try and reconstruct society on such a basis that poverty will be impossible. And the altruistic virtues that really prevented the carrying out of this aim. The worst slave owners were those who were kind to their slaves and so prevented the horror of their system being realized by those who suffered from it and understood by those who contemplated it. Charity degrades and demoralizes. It is immoral to use private property in order to alleviate the horrible evils that result from the institution of private property. Wow, Oscar Wilde, that was super. Isn't that great? Yeah. I think, you know, I, I, as I was reading this yesterday, absolutely accidentally, um, I'm, I'm reading Zizek, um, as you do on Monday night. As you do. After work. Uh, yeah, and um, he referred to, to this piece of Oscar Wilde, and that's why I kind of went and found it. And it just made me think about this whole resilience discourse that we've been having on this episode, because it reflects nicely, I think, what we are um, not trying, unfortunately, to achieve, what we are trying to hide when we are using... Uh, quite a use of, of what could be a quite a useful concept of resilience. Yeah. No, I think that's um, such a useful um, piece to kind of bring this episode to a conclusion with. And um, I mean, from the, the people that sent us in clips, it's, it seems like many of them um, liberally use this term and others are saying they kind of avoid using the term. Um, and I mean, if if we avoid using the term, if if we say, well, let's let's not use it so much, let's not um, use a, a term that's contentious or ambiguous, is that also a problem? Do we have a, a duty as um, researchers, as academics, to um, deal with difficult concepts, especially when they're so popular and so uh, so embedded in society? So, well, I don't think we've managed to answer um, the questions that we've posed because there are so many answers and that just shows the multiple facets of resilience. But, you know, I found the discussion really, really useful. I really enjoyed listening to this clip. So thank yeah, you so much, everyone, yeah. for contributing. 
And as always, uh, listen to us on Mondays. We will be back with our normal episodes. This has been a one-off audience participation episode that you know we try to bring every season. Um, and we will be back next Monday with a guest. So hopefully you're looking forward to that. As always, follow us on Twitter at DisastersDecon and also on Instagram at DisastersDecon. And we would like to finish this episode with a short clip from Gonzalo Lizaralde, who summarizes everything that we've discussed quite nicely. We need to be more critical. We need to ask questions to stakeholders about what they mean by resilience, what are the activities, the expectations, and the objectives that we want to put under the banner of resilience. And in that regard, I think we have a lot of work to do as academics, and hopefully uh, that's a research agenda that we need to pursue. Um, the resilience concept has been manipulated too much already, and I guess we have to ask ourselves, can we really save that concept and that idea for the future? Or instead, should we just abandon it and start thinking about the ethical implications of the work we do? And I guess that the right answer, the most common answer, is that we need to replace this term for a thorough understanding of the ethical responsibilities we have towards society, towards nature, and towards ourselves. Jason von Medic, me, Xenia Chmutina, and Gonzalo Lizaralde, Lee Bosher, Chris Zabrowski, Hannah Ryznik, Daniel Aldrich, Femke Mulder, Laura Gannon, Leslie Gray, Monica Mufti, Sam Montana, Lisa Bronstein, and Lindsay Jones on Disasters Deconstructed Podcast. <laughs>